Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, it's Albert. We're going to cover all the big news of the first week of free agency, the trades, the signings, all that stuff. You're going to get it all here. Then we bring in a special guest to talk about the Tom Brady situation one more time. And as always, we wrap things up with a six-pack of your Twitter questions. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It's the MMQB Podcast with Albert Breer. Quarantine week two. I hope all of you guys are staying safe socially isolating yourself from everybody else all of that um and as a disclaimer here if you guys hear the aussie in the background and i think he's just freaking out right now a five-year-old a three-year-old a six-month-old or a grown woman uh, that is a product of where we're all at in this country right now which is there's no school more people are at home people are cooped up a little bit so if there's more background noise just consider that kind of like the ambiance of the time that we're all in. Um, there's plenty of NFL news to hit this week. Uh, amid everything that's been going on in this country, you know, we had free agency, we had trades, the drafts still kind of looming out there in the distance. And we're going to address all of it here. We're going to start with the takeaways. And my first takeaway for this week, I'm going to give you some reasons why the Brady Bucks marriage can work. Now we know some of the things that are going to be different, right? Like, so he's 43 years old. That's obviously a factor. He's going in and playing in an offense that he hasn't played in before. That to me, uh, you know, obviously brings up different questions when he's been in one offense for 20 years. This is obviously a new program too. And that 
creates, I think, an adjustment as well. Um, but I want to give you guys reasons why this could work, what reasons why this will work. And I've got right in front of me five of them that I think from doing the reporting that I did, and you guys can learn all about the pursuit of Tom Brady by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this week's MMQB at the site. Uh, through my reporting on how this whole thing went down, I, I give you five reasons that I think that this really could wind up working. Reason number one, I think there's real investment from Tom Brady to the Bucks, And what I mean by that, just look at some of the nuance and what he's going to do. A, he's planning on being at OTAs if there are OTAs, and maybe there won't be OTAs, but he's planning on being at OTAs. That shows he's all in in a way that maybe he wasn't the last couple of years in New England or didn't have to be the last couple of years in New England with the amount of institutional knowledge that he has. And then B, he's committed to learning their terminology. Now, this is a little thing, right? But when Peyton Manning went to Denver, like there was sort of a melding of the terminology. And when Arians, when Bruce Arians and Jason Light and those guys talked to Tom Brady last week, you know, they went through this and, you know, Arian's feeling was it's probably easier for 20, 25 guys who may be average learners to stick with what they're doing and have you learn something new than it would be for all of them to have something, have all of them learn something new and you stick to what you do. And so I think the fact that he's planning to be at, a, at OTA is the fact that he's going to learn their t- terminology. Those aren't small things to me. That shows Brady's investment in the program. Number two. There's investment from this. There's investment in the staff in the quarterback position. And if you look at the why it worked for Peyton Manning, again, I hate to use that example, but it's the most relevant one here. If you look at why it worked for Peyton Manning in Denver, he had a group of young coaches around him Mike McCoy, Adam Gase, Brian Callahan, Jim Bob Cooter. There was like this think tank around him. And they haven't done that yet in Tampa, but what they do have is. A bunch of coaches who looked at Brady as a quarterback, looked at last year's tape, looked at the 2018 tape, made the decision, this guy's worth pursuing. And there are four coaches in that group that all, to varying degrees, have a lot of experience with the quarterback position. Clyde Christensen, Tom Moore, Bruce Arians, and Byron Lefwich. Byron Lefwich has coached it. He played it at the NFL level. Bruce Arians, we don't need to go into all the experience he has but he's worked with a lot of accomplished quarterbacks, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Carson Palmer. Um, you know, so obviously he's got the experience. And then both Tom Moore and Clyde Christensen actually worked for an extended period of time with Peyton Manning. And so all of those guys looked at Brady on tape, saw a player they think can still play. So they're all invested in this. And I think that there's at least a skeleton there of a group of coaches who have an idea of what it's going to take to coach Tom Brady. And I think what's interesting about that to me is, you know, you always hear this from guys who coached Peyton or Tom. You have to have everything. You have to have all your ducks in a row. Um, Because if you're going to present a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning with something new, um, then you're going to have to like have all the basics covered. And you, you can't go into a meeting with him and just throw a bunch of stuff at him. You can't waste his time. You can't throw a bunch of stuff at him that he already knows. And because some of these guys worked in that environment with Peyton, it's not going to be new for them going into this sort of environment with Tom. All right, number three, reason number three is going to work, the weapons around him. This one's pretty obvious. We don't need to belabor this point. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard, Cam Bright, 
Cam Brate readjusted his contract of late because he wants to play with Tom Brady. Um, good skill position talent there. I think Ronald Jones has still some potential. Former second round pick came around a little bit last year. They could still add a back. Like Le'Veon Bell is somebody that sort of sticks out to me as maybe a guy that would be an interesting addition for them. So that's reason number three. Good weapons around him. Number four, the division. Carolina's rebuilding. We don't know what we're going to get from Atlanta. To me, like it's really New Orleans is the hurdle for them. And New Orleans has got a great roster around Drew Brees. Is Drew Brees going to be the same player he ha- he has been? That's, I think, sort of an open question. So to me, it's you know really kind of mono mono in that division, whereas if he'd gone to, say, the Chargers, you'd be dealing with the Chiefs behemoth. The Raiders are getting a lot better. It's just a different dynamic in the NFC South, where I think it really is right now the Bucks and the Saints. And then finally, number five, I really feel almost like all you need to do with Brady is get in the playoffs. And this was proven a couple of years ago. In 2018, the Patriots sort of stumbled around in November and December. They didn't look like themselves. And when it counted most, Brady stepped up and made plays, even when the offense wasn't great. He won a shootout against Patrick Mahomes in the AFC title game. And then two weeks later, came back in the Super Bowl and in a game that was incredibly well game planned by Wade Phillips, he did a, the job when it mattered most at the very end of the game. And sometimes that's all you need. And so do I think Brady can be the quarterback he was say five years ago on a 16 week basis? No. Uh, but if he can get back to the point, if, but if he can get the team to January, which I think he's still capable of doing, he can be an enormous difference maker when you get to January because He's not affected by the environment. He's not affected by the stakes. We know what he can do on the biggest stage. So those are the five reasons that I think, you know, you really, there are five reasons for real optimism with a 43-year-old quarterback if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady's investment in them, their investment in him, the weapons around him, the division, and what could happen when you get to the playoffs and how kind of small that is. When you get to the playoffs, it's about winning three games. Takeaway number two. The Patriots reboot is on, and I've been asked by a lot of people what they're doing at the quarterback position. Here's what I would tell you. I I don't think we're going to see a big swing here. Now, if Cam Newton or Andy Dalton or someone like that wants to come in at a discount, that's one thing. But, you know, as far as financial investment, I think they're sort of where they want to be right now. They brought Brian Hoyer in at a cut rate. They've got Jared Stidham there for less than a million bucks. They've got Cody Kessler there for less than a million bucks. It wouldn't surprise me in the least if they drafted another player at the position. I think this is sort of where they're at. They're trying to financially reset, and I think that goes for everything across the roster. Uh, you know, They've gotten older. They've gotten expensive in certain areas because they've struck out on draft picks. Um, you know, they, they have just – they need to go through sort of an economic cleansing – and I think this is the year that they take the bullet on that. They're going to be carrying Brady's $13.5 million in dead money. I believe they got somewhere near $25 million in dead money. It's like it's hard to say they're ever in a rebuild. When Bill Belichick's the coach, I don't know that you'll ever see a team that's not going to be very, very competitive. But like you, you, you look at where they are financially and some of the situations that they've created for themselves logistically and – it just looks like this is the year that they're going to rip the Band-Aid off, take the bullet for all the financial issues they have, and then go into 2021 with a clean economic situation at quarterback and with a clean economic situation on their roster. I'd also say this. I would not – I think there's a very logical way to look at Jared Stidham and at least think that there could be something there. Here's what I mean. 
in 2018, the, the Patriots drafted a guy in the seventh round named Danny Etling. Now, when they drafted him, they felt like there was some physical ability there, and it just was underdeveloped because he hadn't been coached all that well at Purdue or at LSU. And they thought, okay, if we can get a guy who's got some physical ability into our system, work with him, maybe we can capitalize on what we believe is a distressed asset. Didn't work out. Danny Etling wound up cut. I think he's on someone's practice squad somewhere now. At one point, he wasn't even playing quarterback anymore. It, that, that one didn't work out. But the same idea applied in 2019 when they drafted Jared Stidham. And here's how you kind of follow the bouncing ball with Jared Stidham. All right, blue chip recruit out of high school, started right away for our Bryles at Baylor as a true freshman. He winds up, you know, as kind of, you know, and an, a spectator to what was an awful situation there, right? So everything comes undone. Art Bryles gets fired. Jared Stidham transfers. Well, then he transfers after starting as a freshman at Baylor, transfers to Auburn. Sits a year, per the transfer rules, plays in 2017 and plays really well, right, in a system that didn't fit great for him, and then regresses a little bit in 2018. But a lot of that had to do, again, with the scheme that he was playing in, which was a scheme that was built for Cam Newton almost a decade ago. That scheme's not a bad scheme. It just didn't work for him. And so what the Patriots saw in Jared Stidham was a distressed asset, a guy who is a talented kid, smart kid, good leader, got like some statesman about him, but just was in the wrong situation a couple times and it wound up killing his stock. And so what they looked at in 2019 was this kid could be a first, could have like wound up being a first round pick, but it didn't play out that way because of the circumstances around him. So maybe if we can get him in our system, maybe then, you know, we'll wind up in a situation where now all of a sudden we're able to harvest that first round ability. So not saying it's going to happen, just saying that's part of the logic there. Takeaway number three, Cam Newton. If he hasn't been cut by the time you're listening to this, he will be cut soon. The Panthers uh, were going to make one last-ditch attempt on Tuesday to try and get something for him. Chances are they're not going to be able to. His number at $19.1 million in cash for 2020 is too high with teams lacking the ability to bring him in and give him a physical. Take a look at that left foot. Take a look at that right shoulder. And so... In all likelihood, the first pick in the 2011 draft, the 2015 NFL MVP, the quarterback that won the NFC Championship during that MVP year is likely to be a street-free agent fairly soon. So why does this happen? How does this happen? How does a guy of Cam Newton's ability wind up in this spot? There are a couple factors. One, the aforementioned health issue is real, and the fact that teams can't come can't can't bring him in and have their team doctor get hands on him. That's a factor, and it's hard to get around that. If you plan on making a guy your starting quarterback or plan on making a $20 million investment in a guy and he's got injury history like Cam does, it's very hard to trade for a guy um, you know, without getting a full picture of what's going on there. And so that part of it really made it so the Panthers weren't going to be able to get value, maybe get any value, and by, by the looks of it, get any value for Cam Newton. And it's crazy to think that they wind up trading Kyle Allen, right? They wind up trading Kyle Allen and get a fifth-round pick for him, but they can't move Cam Newton for even that much. So that's sort of why he's he is where he is. Now, why wasn't there more interest from other teams just in taking a flyer on him maybe? 
I think that this part of it's interesting too. And I think it sort of relates to Jay Cutler and how Jay Cutler's value as a player tanked after he was no longer a starting quarterback. And you may remember, like he winds up deciding I'm retiring from football after the Bears were going to get rid of him. Um, He was going to go into TV. Then all of a sudden he pops back up in the radar that summer when Ryan Tannehill gets hurt. Adam Gase's background with him brings him in as a starter. So I don't think Jay Cutler was in a position where he could have gone and been a backup quarterback a lot of places. And the reason why, he'd always been a starter. There have been questions about kind of, you know, how he carried himself, his place in the organization, and how he'd handle not being a starting quarterback. With Cam Newton, I think there's the same sort of thing. There's just, there are strings attached with him. He was a super blue chip recruit coming out of high school, went to the University of Florida, sat for a year, wound up in junior college. Uh, was a star there, got to Auburn, was at Auburn for one year, wins the Heisman Trophy, goes to the pros, number one overall pick, starts week one, has never not been a starting quarterback outside of that one year at Florida. So how's he going to handle that? You know, I think there's that part of it. If you're not automatically going to hand him the starting job, is that going to be a problem for you? Can you bring him in, say, like the Titans brought in Ryan Tannehill last year and say, okay, you're our backup, and if something goes wrong with the starter, then you're here for us. Would Cam be okay with that? Would you be comfortable that Cam would be able to operate in a team-first way if you did that? Like That's sort of the question. Is like, like No one's ever really seen him in that position before because he's a superstar talent. He's got superstar ability. He's always carried himself like a superstar. And so that's a question he's going to have to answer for teams. If he goes to the Chargers, let's just – they're the ones that's sort of sitting out there. If he goes to the Chargers, would the Chargers look at him and say, okay, we're going to throw you into a competition with Tyrod Taylor? Sounds absurd, right? But they've made – you know, they really like Tyrod. They like the idea of having Tyrod as their bridge quarterback. So based on your foot cam, based on your shoulder cam, we like you. We want to take a chance on you, but – are you going to be okay being in that environment where you have to compete for the job, where you have to win for, win the job? That might be tough for him. And so I think that's sort of where it's at with Cam right now. <laughs> that's where it's at with Cam right now. I don't know whether or not it's – I don't know whether or not it's going to change much um, when he becomes a free agent and he sees that the money might not be there either. Will he want to go somewhere on a – on the sort of deal that, like, say, Marcus Mariota just signed with the – with the Raiders, which is really seven and a half million and you can earn the rest based on the way you play, based on how much you play, based on team success. If you're playing all that stuff, I don't know. You know, I think that's an unanswered question because Cam Newton's never been in that sort of situation before. Takeaway number four, Trent Williams. Trent Williams had a very interesting uh, Tuesday morning. Um, We saw what happened with the Redskins. His agent announced as well. We've exhausted all of our trade scenarios. We don't. We're looking at this now and saying to ourselves, um, you know, why can't why can't you just let Trent Williams go? Well, here's the problem: Trent Williams does have trade value. In fact, if Trent Williams was willing to report on his existing contract, the Redskins would be able to get value for him. The problem is his contract demands have been such where he wants to be the highest paid tackle in football. At one point over the last year, he actually asked the Redskins for quarterback money and other teams know this. And so if you're another team, 
if you look at where his contract is right now and it's affordable, what's left of it, you'd say, okay, yeah, we do that to bring in a starting left tackle of Trent Williams caliber. No question about it. Absolutely. We do that. But, but if you're asking for premium draft capital plus a contract, now we're talking about something else. Now we're talking about using the cap space you have as an asset and using the draft picks you have as an asset, combining them and putting them together and going and getting that player. That's again, like it's happened. It happened with Frank Clark. It happened with D Ford, but it's hard when you're asking for both. And that's sort of where the Texans were with DeAndre Hopkins, where DeAndre Hopkins didn't want a contract extension. DeAndre Hopkins wanted his contract ripped up and he wanted a new contract. He has three years left on his deal. And, you know, going back a year, that's what happened with Antonio Brown, where he did have some trade value. And because, you know, he wanted what Hopkins is asking for, a bunch of teams backed off and the Raiders were able to get him for a three and a five. And so if you're the Redskins, you're sitting here and saying, well, we're willing to accommodate you. We're willing to trade you out of town, you know, but we want a certain return for a player who has been one of the best left tackles in football a guy who we drafted fourth overall in 2010 and then we extended. And like, if we can't get fair value for you, sorry, like that's not on us. That's because you're asking for a big contract. And so I think that's sort of where it's at right now. It's been an ugly situation from the start. I think Ron Rivera has done what he can to try to make this thing better. And I think it is better than it was when Bruce Allen and, you know, Jay Gruden, Bill Callahan, those guys were there. I think it's better than it was. Um, You know, but if, Trent Williams isn't willing to play ball here if he insists on the contract well that's going to cause the Redskins to not get the return that they want and if you're the Redskins you look at that and say well we don't really have great motivation to move you if we can't get value back finally takeaway number five we'll get to our guest the Rams new logo um, on the lighter side here the Rams new logo has uh, has been released I am not a fan of the LA logo Uh, I know it's been kind of panned across the internet. I don't, I just, it looks too USFL ish to me. It kind of looks like, you know, the logo you'd see for a fictional team in a movie that doesn't have rights to the NFL, but I really like the Ram head. And I think as long as they, and I like the colors too. So I think if they went with the Ram head as their primary logo and then they kept the Royal blue and the yellow, which they have, I think that was a great call to do that. If the uniforms look like the classic like 80s, 90s, like yellow and blue uniforms, maybe updated fonts or whatever, then I'm good with that. And I'm good with it if you go with the Ramhead logo, but I do not like the LA logo. And we will continue to, because we're going to have plenty of time to do this, we'll continue to give you our uniform logo reviews. We still have the Browns, the Falcons, the Bucks, all those teams are getting new logos. I know the Patriots are going to have new uniforms to some degree. Some things are going to change. And I believe I saw the Chargers too, which it's unconfirmed as far as I know. But Rams logo, the primary logo, thumbs down. The secondary logo, thumbs up. You should make that the primary logo. We haven't seen the uniforms yet, but the uniforms should go back and look a lot like the 80s, 90s Rams uniforms, which they've been wearing as alternates anyway. And we will get to our special guest right after this. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. 
We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, so we're going to bring in a guy who's become a good friend of mine. Uh, we do pre and post on uh, NBC Sports Boston every week uh, before and after Patriots games. He played for the Patriots for nine years, I think. I think it's nine years. And, and uh, yeah, and, uh, and he's, also, he's also worked in the Houston market. Uh, we're bringing in former NFL linebacker Ted Johnson. Ted, what's up? Hey, Burr. What's going on, buddy? Good to be with you. All right, so like, first of all, it's, this is long overdue. I've been meaning to have Ted on for a while. He does a great job, and I, I want to, like, Ted. I want to start here. Um, you know, having played with Brady his first five years, uh, 
uh, you know, and having known the guy since he was, I guess the what the twenty three year old with the ugly yellow Jeep. Um, like, what do you what what like what went when you saw that pop up on social media last week and you see the finality of it? What sort of running through your head? Were you surprised? Did it catch you off guard? Uh, did you reflect like like what's like how does something like that hit you? Yeah, it was it was it was no surprise to me, Bert. I mean, I felt like a lot of people were given their you know given the chances of coming back to to uh, New England like a fifty fifty deal. I just you could there was enough evidence, and it really the last couple of years um, that suggested he was gone. He was at his wits end that this was not a uh, you know kind of at this point in his career that he wanted to acquiesce take a, a below market kind of value deal that he really looked like he was ready to move on. And there was just a lot of different things. You can go back to, I think one of the, the big kind of clues was not attending OTAs um, after the 2017 season, not attending the OTAs after the 2018 season. Um, just his overall attitude this year, Bert, um, just really miserable um, when the team was on a roll there to start the season. Um, and then just, some of the things that he was saying, I think particularly Bert, uh, one of the more revealing comments I heard Tom make was in regards to his contract this past training camp. When they asked him about his contract, he's like, I don't know, guys, go ask Mr. Kraft, you know? And it was like, it was such a throwaway kind of, you know, a line that maybe you would not think it was that revealing, but it really was. It was very, very telling because you have to understand, I think, Tom and Mr. Kraft have had an alliance. And they have been they have been aligned philosophically for a very, very long time. And that was the first time that I think you saw maybe that relationship was not what it used to be. That it truly all the reports were that Robert Kraft was disengaging from contract negotiations and he was gonna let Tom or Tom and Bill handle that. And I think that was maybe probably one of the deepest cut of all cuts of all for times because he's always had Mr. Kraft in his corner when it came to contracts. And so I think, and I played for Bill for six years. He's a very difficult man to, 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 to work for and to play for. And I think just all this stuff that was kind of going on that we don't probably have time to mention all the things. It just finally caught up to Tom. And he was like, he wasn't afraid to take a chance and step out of his comfort zone. Finally, for the first time in his career, try something new. And so I'm fascinated to see how it all works out, man. I, I want to get to like the, the program and like how tough it is to play in that program in a minute. But you did hit on something there with the contract, right? And he's been playing for – and I'm sure like as a player, you there were probably points in your career where you felt like you were underpaid, right? I think every player probably has that. How much – like because Brady's been on, I think, what most people would consider below market deals for most of his career. How does that wear on a player? Like, because I, I think we've all probably like in our in all of our lines of work, there's probably points where we feel that too. You know, it's just a like normal like human, you know, human way of thinking. Like, how does that wear on a player when you're going out there and you're sacrificing yourself and and doing what you need to do to get through an NFL season and all of that, and you don't feel like your pay is commensurate with what you're putting out there? It does. It catches up to you. It's it's. Here's the thing. I think guys can maybe. It, it can be more palatable to take a below market deal one, for a few couple reasons, at least. One, you got to be winning, right? I think there's got to be this, hey, that's the trade off. I'm going to maybe take less money, and then the tra- a big payoff is going to be winning. But also, Bert, I think it's just overall 
um, how you feel like you are um, treated by the organization. Um, not not just the owner, because the owner, we all know, loves Brady. But Brady doesn't, you know, have FaceTime every single day with the owner like he does Bill Belichick. And I think Tom was probably like, this is the one guy. It's that dad, Bert, that some people have that is so reluctant to give his praise and so uh, makes you work so hard to get any kind of affirmation from him. That is Bill Belichick. I think Tom just wanted some acknowledgement, some day-to-day kind of respect handed to him. A lot of people say, yeah, well, that's not, that's your pro. That shouldn't have to come with it. I think Tom feels like he's accomplished so much that he should be the exception to the rule. And there's a lot of people who say, well, Bill treats everybody the same. That's not necessarily true. I mean, there's, I think, players that he has that he likes, that he kind of considers his guys to patrol the locker room. And Tom maybe wasn't one of those guys. He was very hard on Tom in meetings, very reluctant to acknowledge Tom for doing good jobs in certain games. He didn't get the game ball. I know that sounds crazy to people, but that wears on you. If you're going to be giving up financial, uh, you know, financially speaking, giving money back to the team, then you at least want the day-to-day kind of treatment of you from the head coach and the coaches to be respectful and, you know, affirmative. And that, and I don't think Tom was getting that. So I think it just finally catches up to where it's like, you know what, it's not worth it anymore. Do you think Bill was that way to Tom to prove a point? Because, I, I, like, I've always heard, like, it enables the whole program, right? Like, it enables the program that if you're sitting in the room and you're watching Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, getting chewed out, you know no one's safe, right? Like, so how much of it do you think the way that he handled Tom over the last 20 years, and really, I mean, I guess more so like the last, what, 15, 16, 17 years, because that's really when he's sort of gotten to that point where he's a superstar. Like, how much of that do you think was to prove a point? Huge. I think it's huge because it establishes the culture if the most important player on the team is willing to sacrifice from a financial standpoint, for the greater good, then it's so easy for everyone to fall in line. And I, and I compare the Patriots a lot to who another franchise that I think has had just you know a lot of success with a coach that I think is on par with the Bills' ability, but in a different sport, and that is the San Antonio Spurs with Popovich. I always kind of felt like what makes that San Antonio kind of engine go for so long is that Pop could be very hard on Tim Duncan on Tony Parker, on Manu Ginobili. And that made everyone else fall in line, okay? So I think that's a, a, it's a great point you're making that Bill, the culture was partly established by how Bill should treat Tom and that Tom's acceptance with that treatment. I mean, Tom accepted these below market value deals for a very long. He bought into that culture. I mean, he, he was one of the flag carriers for that, for Bill Belichick as far as you got to sacrifice if you're going to be here, but you'll, you'll win. I think that for most of his career, he was that way. And I think Tom probably felt like, you know, at the end, well, I should probably be treated a little different, Bill, right? I I should maybe get a little bit more leeway. And it doesn't look like Belichick was willing to do that from a contractual standpoint um, and maybe just on a day-to-day standpoint on how you you communicate, talk, and relate to that player. And Tom was like, man, Phil probably felt like I've earned the right to be treated differently then you've treated me all these years and you're not doing it. So I'm, I'm going to go uh, try something different now. Well, you mentioned that like, like, and let's get, we can get to the, the like sort of existing in that program thing now, because it's what you just hit on. Like how, 
you always hear how hard it is to be there like on a day-to-day basis and how it wears you down mentally and how it can wear you down physically even like what does that mean like like i know it's like seems like a simple question but like what is hard about working there day-to-day versus maybe and you know you were under pete carroll for three years too so you saw a different way um what is so hard about being in that environment on a day-to-day basis yeah and well bill bill creates a work environment that's so unique and different i've had Luckily, in my 10 years, Bert, I have a pretty cool kind of perspective. So I had three coaches in my 10 years, Bill, Bill Parcells, Pete Carroll, and Bill Belichick. All three are going to be Hall of Fame once already in the Hall of Fame. I think Pete's going to be in the Hall of Fame. We know Bill's going to, uh, Belichick's going to be Hall of Fame. We're all three Hall of Fame coaches. All taught and in, in, in leadership styles are so very different. You know, Parcells was tough, but you know what? It was, it was a kind of a fun uh, working environment. He got the best out of his players. He could be hard on you, but he could always, like he likes to say, throw you a fish, come back, build you back up again. Pete was fun all the time. Didn't necessarily work here, um, but it was a very kind of relaxed working environment. And I don't say think that's the best environment when you're trying to put together a top flight football team. I think the culture demands a little bit more discipline. And then you got Bill, who was the complete polar opposite of both of those guys. He, you know, he a lot of it. He coached through fear, um, um, and 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 it kind of in a way that um, look, if you do what I say, the team's going to be better off. So you were just kind of you felt like you were a chess piece in his game. Um, very much emotion is taken out of it. You don't feel as a player. Certain players maybe do with him than others. That he has a real emotional investment in seeing you do well. And I think football players are all wired with emotion. You know, you kind of want to think that the coach that's coaching you kind of cares a little bit about you, the person. And, you know, you know, do you, do you have kids? Uh, do you have parents? Do you, you know, what's, what's your, uh, you know, what's your, what are you like as a person? That's just things he's not really doesn't care about. And so it becomes, you draw closer to the guys. We're all kind of miserable together. So, um, and it's just, and it's a very much, a, a place where you are singing for your supper every single day. You're worried about losing your job. All of a sudden, your reps aren't what they used to be. And I, I love how, and I think Michael Bennett said it very at the beginning of this past training camp. And I just kind of had a chuckle to myself because I'm like, well, he doesn't know Bill Belichick that well. He's like, well, he treats you like a man. You always know where you stand with Bill Belichick. Uh, no, you don't. You never know where you you never know where you stand with Bill. So you never know what he's thinking in regards to you. Um, you know, when he demotes you, he doesn't come tell you why. He doesn't tell you what you think he thinks you need to do better. You're in the complete dark about it. And so you're left to trying to figure it out yourself. And that makes for a very nerve-wracking kind of day-to-day work environment that I think is unique to the, the rest of the teams in the NFL because he's just, just emotionless. And doesn't care about your feelings, and you should just accept everything without any uh, having any real issues about it. Which, unfortunately, there's a human element to play in this game. You know that, and so I think it's very difficult for most guys to kind of buy in. If you're not winning, for sure, uh, buy-in is going to be tougher. So yeah, like that—that's actually what I was going to ask. Is like this has got to be almost like completely results-oriented, then, right? Because if they're if the whole thing is, I'm giving you the answers to the test, listen to me, and you'll have the answers to the test, we'll win, and you'll wind up benefiting individually from it, then yeah, like that could work. And it did work for Tom. I'm guessing for Tom, it's like, 
like look what happened with him. Like so as much as he didn't like it, maybe there was that part, but it but it requires the results, right? So maybe last year he doesn't get the same individual results and they don't get quite and it doesn't mean they were bad, but like the individual results kind of aren't what they were before. The team result isn't what it was the year before. And maybe it becomes a little bit harder to swallow all of that, right? It's way, I think it's just way harder to swallow it. And I, and I, you know, here's the thing. It's not, Bill's not always right. Okay. I mean, he is right most of the time, but there is one thing that you can point to where you can say Bill Belichick was wrong, just flat out wrong. And you, and it was in the, one of the most kind of public world stage, complete and utter like screw ups by Bill Belichick where, you know, I, I, I can tend to maybe be very critical of Bill because I know the man, I know the nature of the man, and when it comes to his X's and O's, far superior. Nobody can touch Bill Belichick. Got it. But when it comes to the human being, I can I will say he can be petty, he can be vindictive, um, he can hold grudges, and I just think that Malcolm Butler benching in the Super Bowl, it really shook a lot of guys in that locker room. And I think it cost them, ultimately, a chance to win their sixth Super Bowl at that time. Now they've, they've won their sixth in 2018. But in that season, I think that really rubbed guys the wrong way. Um, and so that's just one kind of incident where it's like, and they were sleepwalking through the first part of that 2018 season until they kind of figured it out at the end. But there's one thing. It's like, you know what, Bill? You know, you kind of let your, your personal stuff in the way of doing what was right for the team when he's always saying it's what's best for the team. So that's kind of one thing you can look at where I think players are probably like, man, it's not, it's not worth it, man. When we get to this point and you pull that kind of deal out um, and we, we end up losing the whole thing where it's like it, it's tough for guys to swallow that. If you're going to take below market value deals, you're not going to be praised that much. You're not going to be, you know, feel like your value going to work. You better win a lot, Bert, and you better not put us in a position to win and then let your personal stuff intervene and, and pettiness intervene and lose us a big game. So speaking of pettiness and personal stuff, like how much do you think these two guys are motivated by proving, and you know both of them, how much do you think they're motivated by proving it was me? You know what I mean? The six championships, the 20 years of unprecedented success. That was me. That wasn't him. That was me. Like, how much do you think Tom's motivated by that? How much do you think Bill's motivated by that? Well, I think, look, I, I, I think they're both motivated by it. But I think, in particular, Bill Belichick is so ready to prove that he can win without Tom Brady. And that's what makes guys like, like in our business, I think that's what makes this whole thing so fascinating. I really think Bill wants to show that he can win without Tom. Let's face it. Bill Belichick's career did not really take off until when we four of the 2001 season when Tom Brady started for Drew Bledsoe. And then it just, you know, it's been unbelievable an unprecedented amount of success in a 20 year window. But it didn't start until Tom Brady was his quarterback. Yeah, but Ted, he's got games where he's won without Tom. Yeah, you, yeah, he has. But back years after year after year, a winning culture hasn't been established without Tom Brady being your quarterback. And so I think he is so driven 
by that piece right there. And I think he was really ready to move on from Tom. You can say, hey, we made him an offer, but you truly didn't make an offer where you, that I think was an honest offer that you knew Tom would maybe be open to. So to me, he got his desired effect, and that was for Tom Brady to move on so now he can start coaching without Tom. And I think proved to everybody that he doesn't need Tom Brady as his quarterback to win football games. Drew, uh, Bill, he thinks Burke, and he is. I mean, he is the smartest coach I've ever been around. But he's got a big ego, and he is driven by that ego, and he's got a ton of pride. And so this is – he's getting what he wants, and I can't wait to see how it all turns out for him. Yeah, like so – like I, and I know you, you like it's hard to separate one from the other, but I always think of like when they rebuilt in '09 and um, and sort of like the changeover from the guys you played with, like the Vrabels, the Harrisons, the the Laws, um, you know, the Troy Browns, that group to what became like almost Patriots 2.0, Gronkowski, McCourty, like Aaron Hernandez for the short time, like like that that changeover, like they never really had to go through a rebuild because Tom could still elevate everybody around him, right? Like he could still like, Hey, I'll make it work while we're rebuilding this thing. That's really hard to do, right? Like that's really, really hard to do. Yep. So like, this is going to be a tough question. How much of it do you think it like, like if you had to split it up, how much of it do you think of the last 20 years is bill and how much of it is Brady? Is it even, is there one more responsible than the other? Like, how would you look at that? You know, I have always kind of leaned in this question more towards bill. Like, a lot of people think I'm crazy. How is Bill Belichick more important than Tom Brady? I just think it's so difficult to get buy-in from the players if you're the head coach. It's so hard to motivate year after year after year a lot of the same core group of guys and get them to buy-in. It's just hard to establish a culture of a winning culture like Bill has created. But I say, I've always said it's Bill, but I'm starting to kind of maybe lean towards Tom because a big part of it, and we've already touched on it, is the way Bill was able to create this culture, this winning culture, but it's very demanding and no one's getting overpaid and everybody's for some, to, to the most degree treated the same. It all was because Tom allowed himself to be the kind of poster child for that culture. And I mean, and I've been in team meetings where Bill is very critical of Tom, you know, he is on a lot of guys, but it allowed him to that he could do that to establish this culture, like we mentioned before, that if Tom Brady's not above getting chewed out, then we all got to be ready to be chewed out um, if, if we're not doing our job. So I'm going to almost lean more towards Tom. So and when it comes to answering that question, because that he was almost the poster child for that culture, and if Bill didn't have Tom to kind of, you know, point to as the guy, like if he can take it, we all can then I'm not so sure that culture is, 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 is ingrained and established as much as it was. So it, it, it's the next year or two, I can't wait to see the buy-in from these players without Tom being there, uh, you know, kind of as the guy to point to. Okay. So last thing on this then, and I'm going to give you a story. Um, I was with Drew Bledsoe probably, this is probably, and I know you drew a good friend of yours, um, this is probably four years ago now, three and a half years ago. It was on the anniversary of the hit. And, um, you know, I remember Drew saying to me like that he thought like his relationship was dead with Belichick and that 
like he, he was nervous to go back to Foxborough. And this guy is like, like very close to the owner and icon in the area, all of that. He was afraid to go back to Foxborough because he didn't know how Bill would react. And he didn't go back there after he retired. And in 11, he gets elected to the team hall of fame. And so they bring him back for, to introduce him. And he said he was like almost nervous walking out on the practice field. Cause he knew he'd run into bill and he saw bill. And I think I may have told you this story before, but he saw bill and he said, bill couldn't have been warmer. And he said, bill came up to him, asked about his wife, asked about his kids, asked about his wine. And drew said, I was shocked. It was like a totally different guy. And I wonder about that, Ted, because I'm trying to project this forward and look at where the Brady-Belichick relationship will be 10 years from now. But I've all, Bill's always struck me as somebody who is just hyper-disciplined about separating his professional life from his personal life. And once you're gone, you switch. Once you're gone as a player, you go from being a part of his professional life where he has to treat you one way to being a part of his personal life where he's a totally different guy. Do you buy that that happens with Brady? Man, Bert, that's such a great story to highlight, I think, what is a clear pattern by Bill Belichick. And that is, hey, man, sorry they don't like me as players. I'm going to do it, you know, what I think is right or how I want to do things. I'll make up with them later. And there's so many examples of that. I don't care who it is. I, I, Richard Seymour, Mike, Mike Vrabel. Uh, Malcolm Butler, uh, you know, they had a call in the offseason after the fishing. Oh, they're buddies now. Bill's smart to do that because he doesn't want, you know, there's a lot of secrets. And a lot of players, former players, know a lot about Bill, how he treated them, things that went on behind closed doors. And while, while Bill is still a relevant head coach in this league, nobody's going to say it worked. But Bill's smart to kind of, I think reconcile with those guys, extend an olive branch to those guys, like you said he did with Drew. Um, and, and I think more than not, more than anything, guys want to be behind, invited behind the velvet rope. They want to be part of, you know, what's going on. And so they accept the, 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 that kind of response from Bill. They, they 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 want that, you know. And so I, all the stuff that went on in the past can all be forgotten. Bill does a very good job, as much as is is a difficult kind of you know, taskmaster he's to play for. Later in life, he knows it's probably in his best interest to kind of make amends with these former players um, because, you know, he, he acts like he doesn't maybe care about the media, but he does. He cares about what people are saying about him and how he's being portrayed, um, and he's almost borderline obsessive with it. And so he's smart to mend fences with those players that he didn't have maybe good relationships with. So my point is to that, Oh, him and him and Brady, like that. In ten years, oh yeah. I mean, it needs a little bit of time to kind of work its way out. And then I guarantee you, he's so skilled at making that connection re- again with guys that uh, I guarantee he'll do it with Brady, and, and Brady will he'll he'll buy into it. Absolutely. Okay. So before I let you go, I because you were down in Houston, you were around Billy O'Brien. Yeah, you, you did have you know a chance to watch DeAndre Hopkins up close. Um, for a bunch of years, your reaction to what's going on down there and how things have changed over the last year. You know, obviously Jack Easterby now is the executive vice president there. They've traded Jadevian Clowney. They've traded DeAndre Hopkins. They traded for Laramie Tunsil. The face of the team, I mean, and this is rare with a guy who is 
I think going into what year seven now as a head coach, where it almost feels like they're changing the culture again, <laughs> you know? Um, so like, I, I just wonder just as somebody who saw everything down there, like kind of like your reaction to what's happened, you know, in general, and then in particular, the, the, the Deandre Hopkins trade. I was, I was, um, I was shocked by that trade. I did not know that maybe potentially there was, um, you know, an issue there between DeAndre and, and, and the head coach. I, I just, the, what I knew of DeAndre Hopkins, I covered that team for about seven years, Bert, was, I mean, he kept his mouth shut and he worked his ass off and he went out and he produced. That's, that's the, that's all I've ever known of DeAndre Hopkins. Now I've been away for the last couple of years when things change, you have the success that he's had, then maybe, you know, maybe he's, he's, he's not the same guy to deal with anymore. Um, so when I kind of heard that, that news, I thought, oh boy, I thought one thing, the first thought in my mind, when I saw him get traded to the Arizona Cardinals for a second rounder was he might be losing, the Bills losing the team that he could potentially be losing the team. Uh, when you, when you trade away your, your best asset, not named Deshaun Watson, it, it can really, it can really rock you. And so if you don't have DeAndre Hopkins on your side, or you don't have Jadavian Clowney on your side, and maybe, you know, on the same page, you know, with you as far as the direction of the team's going, then it's going to get be harder for the other guys. Now there's an iconic name still on that team, J.J. Watt, but he's been injured the last few years, Bert, and so maybe his his kind of support of Billy O doesn't carry the same weight as maybe those other players. But um, that's the first thing I thought of is that, oh, there's not buy-in um, from his players. If he's getting rid of that kind of caliber of player, it tells me that those two weren't getting along. And it, my feeling is he influences all the, the rest of the roster. DeAndre Hopkins does. And so what he maybe said on the way out or what he's maybe been saying about Bill O'Brien filters to the rest of the team. And so I just worry about his, you know, uh, his ability to get guys to, to play hard for him, to buy in. And, 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 you know, kind of, you know, want to back him as the head coach. I'm worried that that might be, I don't know, who knows, maybe coming to an end. I hope not. Well, so, like, all right, last thing then, because I, I think that this part's interesting. So, like, let's say they did that for culture, which is what my belief is, that they did this, like, it's a culture thing, right? And then you see what happened, what's happened in Detroit where they're, you know, like, they're, they're bringing in – Jamie Collins, Deron Harmon, and Danny Shelton in Miami with Brian Flores. They're bringing in Kyle Van Noy, uh, Ted Karras, and Alandon Roberts. Even with the Giants now, Joe Judge going there, they're bringing in Nate Ebner and Deion Lewis. You were there when Bill first got to New England, and he brought in, I believe, Brian Cox, Anthony Pleasant, uh, Roman Pfeiffer, a few guys that had played for him with the Jets. Do you think the culture thing's overdone at all, or or trying to replicate what you had in Foxborough is too difficult to do in this day and age? Ooh, I, I think you you can bring in culture guys, like you know that you can bring in former Patriots. I get it, and then maybe hope some of that rubs off, but it still comes down to the head coach. I mean, you you can have guys that are played for Bill go to other teams, and they can maybe have I think a maybe a minor impact. But if the head coach isn't built the same way, wired the same way like Bill Belichick, I don't think a few players from a Bill Belichick team is going to make all that big of a difference. I really, really don't. It's it's the head coach. It's how you're dressed every day. It's after you know after a win, 
Does he seem like, you know, does he make it like it's just another win and you got to forget it and move on um, like Bill does? Or, or, you know, are you a head coach that, you know, is, is different? So I think, I think it comes down to more about the head coach because you've seen so many former assistant coaches for Bill Belichick go on to be head coaches, try to be the hard-o like Bill is. And one thing you can't do in this, in this league, Bert, is be somebody you're not. If you're a head coach that is acting like disingenuous or inauthentic or not maybe true to yourself, players sniff that out and they won't have much uh, respect for you at all. It's funny, the one guy that seems to have worked from best that came out of that program as a head coach is a guy who wasn't a coach for him, was a player for him, Mike Vrabel. <laughs> like, he seems like he, like he, he has, a, he, he seems like he has the potential to be the best of them. Yeah, you know what? But Mike is very, I think, authentic and real and true to himself. And so I, I see him coaching like he, like he played. Now, my guess is he's probably taken a lot of things he learned from Bill and, and applying it, but just not from the personality standpoint, more from the X's and O's standpoint, which would be smart of Mike to do. Okay, that's Ted Johnson, former Patriots linebacker. He's with me all the time on NBC Sports Boston, former commentator down in Houston. Ted, always appreciate you coming out. We'll definitely have you on again, and we waited too long to make this happen. Anytime, Bert, man. I always enjoy uh, chopping it up with you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah I, yeah because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard he don't care about guarding he's gonna guard he's gonna exactly. guard like you see him in the exactly. olympics he's gonna guard and then on I'm top of that, like that, see that ladies and gentlemen please welcome sam cassell to point game i remember you came out from crying tears <laughs> crying tears. i mean he was in a culture shock and then he's, he's going to withdraw us about winning remember what so. i told you i said i said oh you think i can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, thanks to Ted. Always great catching up with him. We have a great time in the fall in the post game and the pregame show, and he's just a great dude in general. Happy to have him on the show here for the very first time. And from there, we're going to jump right into your questions. Uh, because of the circumstances, as you guys have noticed the last couple of weeks, we've reverted to doing the questions that you guys send us the way we used to do them. So went from being voicemails and emails now back to doing the six-pack. Longtime listeners of the show understand how the six-pack works. We put the call out for questions on Twitter. We ask, you respond. If your question gets picked, we give you a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart button there and you get an answer here. Question number one for the week from Smith. That's at Brian underscore 1953. Brian's asking how interested will the Colts be in Jalen Hurts? Brian, I do think that there will be, I think the Colts are going to do their homework on the quarterbacks this year, but I think part of trading the 13th overall pick um, for DeForest Buckner was an acknowledgement that maybe they didn't think that the, their long-term answer was there. And furthermore, I think that the, the, the addition of Philip Rivers is a sign that they are planning, that they are doing their best to sort of keep the train on the tracks with the program as they've built it the last three years. And, you know, just sort of treading water for the next year or two at the position until they can find the next answer. That, that in fact, is exactly why, you know, it, and we reported this a month ago, why Brady was sort of a non-starter for them and why they didn't pursue Tom Brady. Because, you know, when they looked at it, they said, okay, if we bring in Tom Brady, now we're going to be all in for one or two years. We're going to probably disrupt our program in several different ways. And that's not saying that in a negative way. It's just a, it's just a fact of the way that would have gone. Um, and they didn't want to do that. You know, they've, they've been, they've drafted really well the last few years. They've got a lot of good young players in their team guys, you know, like Darius Leonard, like Quentin Nelson, like Rocky Sin. Um, and so they want to sort of kind of keep the building process going as it's been going. And the best thing for them to do to keep that going was to bring in a guy they knew that they wouldn't disrupt much as far as how they've been building their program. 
Philip Rivers knows Nick Sirianni. He knows Frank Reich. So it made all the sense in the world to go forward with two quarterbacks and Rivers and Jacoby Brissett that you know, that you like, that'll buy you a year. And if they're willing to come back in 2021, maybe two years to find the long-term answer, I would expect the, the Colts will be headlong into the 2021 quarterback class. And it should be a good one. Clemson's Trevor Lawrence, Ohio State's Justin Fields at the top of that group. Question number two is from Rick. That's at Rick Conk 13. I know the draft is loaded with receivers, but the free agency market for them has been non-existent. What is are the reasons? Well, I think Rick, you just sort of hit on it inadvertently there because the draft is loaded at receiver. Teams aren't being as aggressive with the free agent market because they know we get to April not even necessarily in the first round, in the second or third round, we may be able to find starting level players. And then they look back and they see the last few years when the receiver group in the draft wasn't as strong as this year. They're like, wow, you can find answers in the second round. There's Michael Thomas, there's DJ Chark, there are the two old Miss kids last year, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. So, you know, I think what's hurt receivers on the free agent market, guys like Robbie Anderson, is that the draft class is so strong that teams are saying, why spend in March? Why overspend in March? when there are going to be answers for us there in April. Question number three from Mo Butts. That's O at Mo Sound Guy. Most likely dark horse team to trade up for a quarterback. Why don't I give you the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as one? And I know that sounds weird, but they don't have a ton of pressing needs in their team. And maybe it makes sense for them to put the guy who will succeed Tom Brady on the roster. Now you may remember, and I'm going to bring up this comparison again, but Denver, Peyton Manning, 2012, what did they do? They drafted Brock Osweiler that year. Now, obviously, it worked out in 2015 where they won the Super Bowl in part because he was able to kind of keep the keep the, keep the the train rolling uh, when he got in there, but it, he didn't wind up being a long-term answer. But the point is they felt like they had to put a younger answer, a younger piece at the position because – they had gotten so much older with their starter. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see Tampa at some point take a quarterback because they look at it and they say, okay, this is where we need to make our move. And we need to put somebody on the roster who could be the long-term answer. The other team I'll keep an eye on is just the, the Raiders, just because they've got two first-round picks. They're picking 12th and 19th. That 19th pick, of course, is one of the last pieces of the Cleo Mack trade. And I, I do know that they've sort of continued to look for ways to upgrade. Marcus Mariota will sort of be playing the role that Ryan Tannehill played behind him in Tennessee next year, where it's like, you know, in case of emergency break glass guy, uh, you know, they've tried to create competition for Derek Carr. Let's just say they get really clean medicals back from Tua Tungvaloa's people. Let's say, and I don't know how he's going to prove it, but he does something like where they're, wow, you know, we got, we got to look at this. And let's say because of the medicals, maybe other people assess it differently. He starts to slip in the top 10. Is it crazy to think Vegas could make a little move up to go and get Tonga Valoa? Not in my mind, it's not. So those would be the two teams I'd watch as maybe surprise teams to trade up. Question number four from Adam Showalter. That's at Adam Showalter. Why doesn't Jadevian Clowney have a bigger market and who is actually in place for his services still? I think he winds up back in Seattle, Adam. And the reason why he doesn't have a bigger market, I think there are two reasons why. Number one, I think his financial expectations were a little much. He expected to be paid like Demarcus Lawrence and Frank Clark and all those guys last off season. And I think he could make the case that, you know, in a lot of points in his career, he was better players than those guys. He's a better player than those guys. Um, but if you're asking for more than $20 million, 
it's just based on the environment right now. It's it's a tough thing to ask. Teams projected the cap being higher than it wound up being. And here's the big thing: if you're going to make that sort of investment, we talked about this with Cam, and you're bringing in a guy with injury history, you're going to want to bring him in for a physical. You're going to want to take a look at him. And they haven't had the t- chance. Teams haven't had the chance to take a look at him physically. And so, I think the most likely scenario is he winds up going back to Seattle, and maybe he winds up going to back to Seattle on a one-year deal. Question number five from Ricker eighty-one. That's at D underscore Ricker eighty-one. Hypothetically, if the season does not happen, would the draft order remain the same for twenty twenty-one? I believe it would. Also, any movement on Yannick or Trent Williams trades? So we mentioned we talked about Trent Williams earlier. I, I think the Trent Williams trade happens if his contract demands come down. If he's so desperate to get out of DC then maybe he's willing to take a little less on a contract. If he's willing to take a little less on a contract, I think all of a sudden there'd be a good market for him on the uh, on the trade front. As for Yannick, Yannick's an interesting case because I think you have to slot him probably somewhere between you slot him somewhere between where you had um, where you had Frank Clark and D Ford last year. Frank Clark went for a one and a two. D Ford went for two twos. Why the difference? Well, because D Ford, and actually D Ford actually went for one two. D Ford went for a two because he isn't as good a run defender. Frank Clark's a more well-rounded player. Yannick's a little bit more like D Ford in that sense. A very very good pass rusher, kind of an ordinary run defender. And so, do teams look at it and say this guy's worth a two? If he's worth a two, does Jacksonville move him for a two? And what's he asking for contractually? That's going to be part of the equation too. D Ford took a fairly team-friendly deal last year to go to San Francisco. And so all of those things sort of play in where what's he asking for in the contract and where's that middle ground between what Kansas City got for D Ford, what Seattle got for Frank Clark last year. Obviously, both those moves worked out to a degree. Both those teams, San Francisco and Kansas City, that traded for those players wound up in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Yannick's just, I mean, to me, if you can get a first round pick for him, if you're willing to give up a first round pick for him, the deal, you make the deal happen. Uh, finally, question number six from GM wannabe. That's at GM wannabe. What are the Vikings planning to do with the cap space from Hunter's contract restructuring? I don't think the Vikings are going to do anything big. Um, they've got the draft capital now after the, the Stefan Diggs trade where they're able to, they're going to be able to, address needs on the offensive and defensive lines and the receiver position based on what's available in this year's class, like somewhere along the line in April. And so I think they'll be able to do those things where this could make a difference is if you do want to keep Anthony Harris and it was a surprise to Anthony Harris and his people that they were tagged. Um, The Vikings made room for Anthony Harris's tag by doing a new deal with Kirk Cousins. There's just, Right now, I think more than anything else, this was about creating breathing room in general. They needed to create breathing room for Harris's tag. They needed to create breathing room for uh, for for their rookie class when the rookie class comes in. And now they're going to have two first-round picks, so they're going to need room for that. So it's just I, I think part of this is just normal accounting because they were in a tight spot coming into the offseason. And if anybody benefits from this, you know, contract you know, monetarily, then I think it'll probably be somebody who's on the roster right now, somebody like Anthony Harris. So that was six questions, but I do have a bonus question here from my buddy Fitz. That's Ian Fitzsimmons at Fee, Ian Fitz ESPN. 
uh, the host of of Freddie and Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio, personal friend of mine. If you go to one place to eat in any NFL city, where would you feast and what are you ordering? Uh, you know what? I'm going to kiss your ass here, Fitz, because I know you're from there. I, and I this is, think this is probably what you were doing. You were probably fishing for a compliment for your city anyway. But there's no question it's got to be New Orleans. I'd go to Herb St. New Orleans. I'd have to look at the menu again to know what I'd order. I think they had a tremendous salmon there. Um, I can't remember what I like, but there were, there were so many good things on the menu there and I've been there a bunch. So give me herb St. New Orleans. Appreciate all you guys coming out. I hope that we can give you guys some entertainment here as you know, this just bizarre, different, unique, challenging situation for all of us unfolds in our country. Everybody listen to doctors, pay attention to the science, stay home if you can if you take all, we're all in this together. If you can take care of what you take, if you can take care of what they're asking you to take care of, we'll all get through it quicker. I do believe that. And it's not because of something I know it's because I trust what I hear from doctors. Um, uh, again, we're all in this together. So I hope everybody can kind of listen to what the people who know what they're talking about are talking about. Uh, appreciate you guys coming out again. Like I said, hopefully we give you guys a little bit of a diversion here as everything gets weird and different and tough. Uh, and I want you guys also, if you want some more diversions to pay attention to all of our podcasts. So we got the Monday morning podcast. We've got the week side podcast with Jenny and Connor You can get all of our podcasts, all three of those podcasts, this one and those two on the MMQB NFL podcast feed. You can also get the MMQB NFL news feed, which catches you up on everything that's going on in the NFL every day. Both those feeds are on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you guys get your shows, you can get those two shows. Have them pop right in your podcast feed every time they go up. Same time next week. I'll see you guys then. a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen and with resi priority notify and global dining access through my amex platinum card right this way it's nice to try someone else's food for a change that's the powerful backing of american express terms apply learn more at americanexpress.com with amex if a new house is on your wish list in the next five years grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an ohio homebuyer plus account from kemba financial credit union a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn seven percent apy a five hundred dollar matching bonus and a fifteen hundred dollar mortgage closing cost credit learn more at kemba.org offer expires march 31st 2025 apy equals annual percentage yield restrictions apply nmls 292230 equal housing lender federally insured by ncua i'm katia adler host of the global story over the last 25 years i've covered conflicts in the middle east political and economic crises in europe drug cartels in mexico now i'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it join me monday to friday to find out what's happening why and what it all means follow the global story from the bbc wherever you listen to podcasts Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.